You are listening to Death of the Reader. This is Flex and Herds here for our second week with Good Murder by Robert Gott. We are covering chapters 5 to 9 today on your Murder Mystery World Tour and Herds. Yeah, Flex. I was coming into this, I was coming into this week mm-hmm. torn. Torn, really? Concerned. In half? That I, I was coming up to fight the good name of Robert Gott as this was a book clearly not written for people like me. <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> I don't know, and perhaps that's something we can discover as we get further in. But I, so. I have been I have been pleasantly surprised oh, I'm glad. by the continuation of this book. I do not think that it has entirely redeemed itself in my eyes, but I think that the way that it has carried itself out has really, really stepped it up. In, in my head. That's good, that's good. I think particularly, Herds, this this section of the book does a great job of getting away from the original crimes. Oh, that's interesting. Well, yeah, there's a, there's a lot of extra drama kind of being brought up, like with, uh, oh my goodness, Charlotte and her abusive husband and Joe coming back and shooting our protagonists in the chest. Like, there's a lot that happens in these chapters. Yeah. I mean, I think that one of the most interesting things is that last week I was saying that the crimes in this novel didn't feel technical enough to warrant extensive exploration. And they don't get it. And I think that Robert Gott has been very aware of that. Yeah, he's entirely aware. And this book goes into other stuff in a way that I found very compelling. Sure. Um, I thought that the extra drama coming in with, you know, the other families and relationships and religions involved in this story, when we start looking at Charlotte and her husband, those extra aspects to the story really do a good job of highlighting both why William Power is still just a terrible person, (laughs) but also making him a more compelling character. For sure. I think particularly the scene where Annie Topaz and Will Power sit down and are just discussing things. Meeting Charlotte. Yeah. It's such an excellent scene because the book is almost to a fault so aware of how horrible William Power is being, and it keeps calling him out on it. Yep. I think to some extent it might go too far because it gets a bit on the nose, but on the other hand- the way that the other characters in the scene are pointing out his flaws and the way that William Power just seems to ignore their criticism and keep making the same mistakes really drives home that point in a way that I think recontextualizes how horrible he's been the rest of the novel. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean this in the uh, in the nicest, most genuinely positive way possible, William Power is the wily coyote of detective fiction uh, detectives. Like the fact that he is constantly trying to, he's either accidentally or intentionally inserting himself into the drama of the town that he's in, in Maryborough and getting himself into stupid scrapes that nobody should ever be in. And he keeps getting punished for it, but we just keep watching in horror as his, his stupidity compounds and the other characters, as you say, they call him out on it again and again and how unreasonable he's being. Although it does lead to some pretty great lines, like, I would like the Lord to punish people who shoot me. 
uh, which might be my favorite line of the entire novel. <laughs> so good. Like the fact that he's just been shot and he's just like, I need this man to be prosecuted. Like, but he could, but the man who shot you could help us with this murder case and get you exonerated and like take the charges away from you. And he's, and, and he's just like, no, I just want that man in jail. I do not want to cooperate with the man who shot me. He's entirely unwilling to listen to reason or to compromise. And it, it, it takes a lot for him to change his mind, although to his credit, he he does in this case. He eventually concedes to allow Joe Drummond, who's introduced uh, in the latter portion of, uh, I believe, chapter six, the, the halfway point in the novel, uh, he allows Joe to kind of work with him on the on the case. Watching this uh, this cascade of trauma and uh, and stupidity on William William Power's part is really why you keep reading this novel, right? Yeah. <laughs> and I'm glad you've kind of come around to that. I think the scene that really, really tied it home beyond the one that I mentioned earlier was that final acceptance of, hmm, maybe I should actually let Joe Drummond off the hook. Yeah. Because everyone else in the story is like, no, seriously, Joe Drummond would have just would have just actually hit you in the heart if he'd intended to. He, he and whilst that is perhaps the most whimsical evidence that this story has slated for anything that anyone's done, you know that at least within the context of the story, it is done earnestly. Yes. And I love how defensive and just against everyone William Power is, but then immediately how we flip that on his head, we go to deal with Mal Flynn Mm -hmm. and things go wrong and suddenly William Power almost becomes the monster people fear him to be. Yeah, it's fantastic. Do we want to talk about Arthur? who is secretly the best character in this novel, apparently. What is it you think makes him your favourite character? I think I have a moment in mind. I'm just curious. The moment where he interrogates Mal Flint and goes full stone-cold, like, secret police on him. (laughs) Yep. Like, that is an insane scene. And really, because Arthur is a character who was introduced south of the novel, he's part of the troupe, and uh, the kind of gimmick that this this cast of, of, of the troupe has is that they all have different disabilities, like, clubfoot or they're homosexual which means they can't serve in the army all this sort of stuff um but uh th- this guy arthur he was in an accident with a, i believe with a combine like farming equipment he-, he gets like run over by a by a combine and the entire like left side of his body has been shredded uh yeah they end up with mal flint he attacks them and uh it's kind of subtle like arthur he says you know i thought the best thing was to be unconscious when Mal Flint was charging William Power so that Arthur could surprise him and knock out Flint and all this stuff. Like, it's kind of like, oh, that was kind of a clever thing for Arthur to do. And he says, all right, now we're going to interrogate Flint and try and see what he knows. And he goes full Robert got. He talks about how he is going to cut him to pieces and like torture him. And it's such a fun scene because the exchange that he has with William Power after the fact is that William is like, that wasn't real, right? That was you acting. And Arthur says, you know, I'm not that good of an actor, <laughs> which is like, <laughs> it's such a brilliant exchange where William Power, you know, despite being indignant and judgy of everyone this entire time, he finally has met a character uh, that being, you know, the real side of, of Arthur that he is truly intimidated by and is truly someone who he needs to fear. And this is, it's the first time in the novel where you really feel like William is 
is right in his his assessment of a person, right? Yeah. And it's that beautiful irony that it's someone who he considers a very close friend, close to a friend as he can have. I I love that that switcheroo, that kind of switch around of Arthur's personality from oh, this yeah. kindly, you know, what's an archetype to just like, and now we will interrogate the suspect and I will make his life a living hell until I get what I want. Yeah. Particularly set against the backdrop of the war, yes, there is yes. always this kind of looming bracket of there is more going on in the world, and William Power has been entirely ignorant of it. And whilst we don't actually find out what Arthur's background is, yep. because there is this bracket over the story, his sudden outburst is made plausible by the way that the story has framed the extra things that William Power has not noticed. Exactly, right? It's entirely, his character entirely works because of the background that has not, that William is is not talking about, but is vaguely aware of. Mm -hmm. And he's always talking about, you know, the little inconsistencies of like, well, there won't be any butter in the town because of rationing and we'll have to figure out where to perform. Like all of these little things that they're very Karen things to be worrying about if you're on the, the the politics there. That is the most millennial thing you've said on this show. <laughs> it is though. He's very he's very Karen, but he, he's just worried about all these little things. But here in Arthur, we have a very a very historical character. Like it is strongly implied that he is a spy. We do not know for which side or for who he's working for, but he's like a spy or like secret police or some crazy nonsense. Uh, and he's just he's just there, right? He's just a part of, of William's life, whether he wants it or not. And it isn't really elaborated on beyond that, which I, f- I actually find really compelling. I think I think the other thing that I really like about that sequence is when we get to Joe Drummond's death, that whilst it is still a little indulgent in the way that it describes it, the story has begun to express restraint in a way that I think is very... Uh, complementary to the way that the story is actually being played out because in the beginning of the novel we had lots of shock factor and big aggressive in-your-face visuals and scenes and descriptions but now that we are in the middle section of the novel I think that Robert Gott is very aware of the fact that if we just keep playing the same cards they become boring right we instead go this has happened here are the consequences, here is Arthur rising to the challenge. It really reuses the same uh, excess that the novel has had the whole time to serve a different purpose, which is a really, really great writing tool that Robert Gott has employed to make sure that the satirical aspects of his story don't wear themselves thin. Yeah, I mean, the novel shows restraint, uh, certainly in the most recent chapters, which I really appreciate. Uh, it, it makes you wonder if the brutality is going to be uh, present in the final chapters, you know, whether the murderer, whoever, whoever it might be, uh, is going to get comeuppance in a truly brutal fashion. You know, speaking speaking of restraint, though, before we move on, Herds, I do have to say that the the bliss that I felt when the sex scene between <laughs> Charlotte and Will yep. was two words long, yes, yes. not two sentences, I, I don't think I've felt so much relief reading a book as I have in that moment. 
you know, not that I expected Robert got to come in and give me an eight paragraph, just full on horn dog account of what they did. But the fact that it was even less than I expected it to be, the fact that it just got it over with and made sure that you were focusing on Will's characterization rather than the excess of the moment was was great to see. Yeah, well, it's interesting the line that Robert kind of draws in this book that, you know, he, he's able to show this really brutal, uh, you know, moments of violence, like someone's head being, you know, slipped from their body, that sort of thing, um, and the torture that Arthur, you know, commits against Flint. But he is very restrained in other aspects. You know, he's, the, the sexual content doesn't really go beyond words. There isn't any, you know, explicit sexual acts in the story. Um, it, it's very interesting because Robert Gott is actually uh, more well-known, uh, certainly before he wrote Good Murder, for, for writing children's books. Um, mostly, like, educational texts, <laughs> which is a really, really weird kind of angle to come from. So... It's I don't know it's it's interesting to see that he he's very much able to show these kind of mundane acts uh, with such viscera, uh, but when it comes to sex, yeah, he's he's pretty controlled. Um, he knows the kind of uh, he he knows the line that he doesn't want the story to cross, right? Um, and he holds back from that. Well, William Powers seems to have a wonderful ability for making people take physical action against him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's it's interesting to see how that has manifested itself through the story, be it that he's on a hospital bed with a serious injury and he gets water poured over his head, be it that he is, uh, you know, assaulted by the man who thinks that he killed his family, but then immediately realizes that he's too much of a wuss to have done the thing in the in the moment. Be it when they go to Mal Flint and, you know, just that confrontation in the bathroom to begin with was yeah. too much for me. <laughs> uh, in, in, a way, in a way that I was, I was pleased with rather than frustrated with, I will say. But, oh my goodness, William Power, he, he, he's gone from being a detestable character that I hated reading to being a detestable character that I enjoy reading. You, are you enjoying yourself? Is that- I might is be. Is that shocking? I might be. Oh my goodness. I'm concerned, Herds. Have I been corrupted by William Powell? Definitely. I mean, haven't, haven't, oh, we, all, haven't we all been corrupted by William Powell? <laughs> maybe he is right. Maybe his whole acting troupe does suck. Maybe that, Maybe he is the only good actor in the entire troupe. Um, except for Arthur, obviously. Well, Herds, I think we will jump in to the murder mystery aspects of this story and a bit more of the, the fallout of the death of Joe Drummond in the last part of the show today. You are listening to Death of the Reader. We are Flex and Herd discussing Good Murder, chapters 5 to 9 by Robert Gott. And we'll be back with more of that in just a second. You are listening to Death of the Reader. Flex here. Hope you're enjoying our discussion on Robert Gott's Good Murder. Wanted to interrupt your regularly scheduled programming to let you know that there has been an update on the podcast. If you are tuning in on the podcast or listening live on 2SER, you may remember review season, which we did over the Christmas break to fill the gap and cover all of our favorite stories from 2019. We had lost those files before putting them on the podcast because we were traveling at the time that they went out, but they have been found and they will be going out on the podcast over the coming weeks. So if you miss that, do keep an eye out. You'll have to scroll a bit further down to just after Knives Out 
We're going to drop in one of these reviews here to catch you up on what you can find on the podcast. This was our winner for the year, Too Many Cooks by Rex Stout. This is Herds. It's review season on Death of the Reader. And this is Too Many Cooks by Rex Stout. In this novel, Rex Stout has done the unthinkable, marrying the concepts of food and murder mystery, creating a delicious abomination that sinks itself in your taste buds and just won't let go. If you are looking for some light eating, reading, to put you in the mood for some crime solving, this novel starring our rotund detective Nero Wolf will set you straight. The story follows Wolf as he is barreled up and shipped off on a train to a holiday resort hotel called Kanawa Spa, a picturesque location for Wolf to take some well-deserved time off, or at least that's what he would like this novel to be about. The event is attended by the 15 Masters, a group of international chefs who meet every five years to test their culinary skills and uphold their own reputations in their secret chef society. And with Mr. Wolf being brought in to oversee it all, it's obvious nothing could go wrong. It is during a public event that tragedy strikes, and the rest of the novel is spent traveling in the shoes of resident good boy Archie as he acts in the position of, well, legs for our good detective Wolf. The gimmick that this series novel kind of plays with relies heavily on the dynamic between the, the detective Wolf and the Watson Archie. Uh, Too Many Cooks is a novel that isn't afraid to separate the staple pieces of the detective genre and in a way that adds so much spice to the dish. Archie himself is a pleasure to follow through as he is quite the snarky gentleman, sometimes voicing his sarcasm out loud, other times keeping it locked in his head. Either way, the dynamic that Archie and Nero pull off is endlessly entertaining. The main course of this meal is the chefs themselves, and honestly why I couldn't put this book down. Rick Stout shows his knowledge of good character cooking, mixing and matching them with each other to really bring out the flavor of the scene. The novel is able to weave a web of characters while still keeping that organic touch, bringing out the best and worst qualities of everyone involved. It keeps it feeling very, uh, very human. It would be remiss of me to not mention the single ingredient that pulls Rex Stout's story above the rest of the tales we have read this past year, and that is the the heart at the center of these characters. Despite having these snippy back and forth and Nero Wolf being quite unpleasant and a lot of his bossing about of his sidekick, they are both characters who are shown to have tremendous heart when dealing with the murder case. Rick Stout uses this novel as an opportunity to evolve the Black Rite's cause of his time. When characters put them down in the story for the color of their skin, Nero is there to pull them back up. It's actually a really important part of solving this mystery, and it's the tremendous heart here that puts Too Many Cooks at the top of our list for 2019. I give Too Many Cooks 15 murdered chefs out of 15 for a deliciously murderous time with Nero Wolf, who may just be my favorite detective of all time. Once again, if you want to catch that, it will be up on the podcast along with the other stretch of review season stories over the coming weeks. Now, back to Good Murder. You are listening to Death of the Reader, Flex and Herds here. We are discussing Good Murder by Robert Gott, chapters 5 to 9. And it is that part of the show, that part of the novel, where Herds is going to sit down and challenge me to solve this before we get the solution next week. And I am in trouble. Yeah. I've I've not had a good stretch for the last few books I've solved on this show. Uh... You know what? I think Herds has finally found my weaknesses and is exploiting them. <laughs> Modern novels in in a cruel in a cruel way. Yeah, look, I'm gonna keep throwing them at you. <laughs> uh, 
I'll just get better. I'll just get better. It's as simple as that. You have to. But I, I last week threw away one of our points in our double or nothing game in which at the end of the year, whoever is behind on points loses all of their remaining points as each novel this year is worth two. And I threw away my point because I did not think I could even approach uh, a solution based on what I saw last week. And I decided to throw it away such that I would not have to worry about the method of this murder, merely the motive and the who. Do you think you've been able to solve that much, Flex? Do you think you're on point with that? I think I am, though I will say I am a little confused. Okay, that's fine. Because... I, I'm going to come in, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stick to my guns and say that I believe it is Augie or Augustus Kelly. We should remind you who that is. So Augie, Augie is uh, the owner of a, I guess it's a restaurant slash hotel that the troop decide to shack up in. And at first he's, you know, charging way too much money for them because it's the wartime and nobody has any damn money, et cetera, et cetera. And so one of the, the troop, uh, Tybalt, I believe his name is, says, you know, I'm a, sh- I'm a bit of a chef myself. I will cook for the hotel, cook for the establishment, and in return, you will give us, you know, a, a lower cost for, for sleeping here. And so Augie has been kind of back and forth in the shadows, as murderers often are in these novels, providing support to our protagonist, watching as his business kind of booms with this troop being here. So I assume that's what you're going to tie the motive to. Is that is that correct? A little bit, yeah. I think that that is the underlying context for a derangement that Augie Kelly may have where he's trying to basically, he's not trying to, I guess, coerce William Power and his troop into staying there. I think he is trying to misguidedly befriend William (laughs) Power in, in the hopes that that will, yes, then make him stay there and keep the business booming. The reason I draw that distinction is because the one thing I noticed when I forced myself to go back and reread this novel, (laughs) after going through all of the crimes, going through Polly being murdered, Fred blowing up, their mother being decapitated, and then Joe disappearing, and then also what happened to Arthur, all of these things seem to keep happening to people that get in the way of or hurt William Power. That That is interesting in and of itself, because obviously there's a very misguided perspective to that, where it's like, how is murdering all of these people around William Power going to resolve the minor emotional damage that they may have caused him, be it Polly uh, committing multiple cases of adultery, one of which nearly included William Power, be it, uh, you know, Fred trying to undermine what had happened and getting in the way of the troop, be it their mother, you know, insulting him and saying that he Get is- Get those Catholics out of here. The, the Popus. That's right. It's the Popus. Get the Popus out of here. That's right. Yes. And, and then, of course, Joe shooting William. Mm-hmm. All of these cases seem to happen immediately after they have done something to slight William. The, the reason that it took me a while to come around to it was because that was then not consistent with the police mistreating him. That was then not consistent with Annie being up in his grill about- uh, you know, following what Topaz wanted him to do. But I think that that is uh, a case of sensibility where what remains of Augie Kelly's sanity is aware that he probably can't mount up against the entire local police department himself just because they slighted William Power. But the thing that nailed the coffin shut for me here was the final scenes going to deal with 
Mal Flynn because the only person they tell where they are going is Augie mm, Kelly. Interesting. If you look back at all of the incidents that have happened previously, it is always Augie Kelly who's asking where William Power is going. It is always Augie Kelly asking about how the day was and what they spoke about. Um, it's always Augie Kelly coming into the conversations with Arthur when they're talking about what's going on. So by extension, unless Joe Drummond has betrayed them and left them there to be framed, which I do not think is plausible. Oh, that's interesting. Given the strength of character that the rest of the village seems to think he has, I, I do not think it plausible that anyone else would have been aware and able to go and intercept what they did to Mal Flynn. Well, it is, it is an interesting assertion that you made at the end there because Joe Drummond is the closest thing I would say to, to another suspect here uh, because, uh, as you say, he, he is not killed on screen Certainly, we do not even see his body after the Mal Flint incident. He just seems to disappear into the bush, uh, which I would say is quite suspicious. Also, you say that he has a very strong, uh, strong character, and and it I think I think it's very interesting that you've you've brought up this idea that Augie Kelly might have some underlying mental issues with you know not having friends or whatever, because Joe Drummond also has some underlying trauma uh, that was brought up in Chapter Five. Uh, that being that he was the one driving his family car uh, with his father, you know, teach him how to drive uh, when when they slammed into a tree and his father was was killed in that accident. So yeah, I would posit that this underlying trauma uh, and the fact that as we see in in the one scene where Will actually goes to the family house where Polly and Mrs. Drummond and Fred are all fighting with each other. Um, this trauma and this uh, this lack of you know family support that Joe is receiving could be enough to drive him to murder. Uh, we we learn through the previous chapters that there's a lot of there's there's a lot of problems going on. Polly uh, was actually pregnant with the child of the awful abusive husband of Charlotte, who is the woman that Will is getting involved with. There's a whole thing there. But I would like to posit that Dro killed his sister because of that and killed his brother to cover it up and his mother because she's not a very good mother. I think that this is rather than about friendship, this is about family. That is going to be the, the thing that I'll posit to you. Um, and I will say also that uh, Joe is is known to be able to kill people. Yep. Why would he, why would he not kill William Power if he truly believed that he was uh, a murderer, why would he just, you know, hit him in a non-violent area? Why even, why even, you know, bother? The the thing that I am interested in here, sure, is that first of all, Joe Drummond is said to be out of the village, doesn't appear, shows up late, though he is mentioned early on in he the story. So he, he is not several times. Yeah, he is not yep. exclusive to the Knox rule of the culprit must be introduced early in the yep. story. Uh-huh. The interest I have in his strength of character is that the the village and all of the more reliable characters in the village seem to have been either, you know, led to believe through experience that he is reliable as they say he is or swayed by the same charm that perhaps you could say I am. <laughs> and that is a that is a trap that I am very willing to fall for. Yes. And the yes. fact that he does disappear at the end, of course, makes it incredibly suspicious. But I also think that that is the design. I think that looking at the the motives, I would say that the way that 
Joe Drummond's character is framed to me is that he is one who rises above adversity. Yep. He is the one who has gone through years after that childhood trauma, you know, managed to keep his family going despite his mother's obvious descent into madness, and he's kept himself away from that, sure. you know, potentially for his own health. He is always shown, at least to me, to be rising above the challenge, whereas Augie Kelly always seems to be submitting to the challenges that are presented. Sure. Uh, he is always, you know, oh, goodness me, my, my bar's, you know, screwed up and the food's bad, but I like the cook, so we can't get rid of him. <laughs> and I, I think the the distinction lies to me in that Joe Drummond is the trap that is set for me as the solver, <laughs> and sure. that Augie Kelly is the one behind the scenes. Interesting. I will say it will not surprise me if the two are in some way collaborating, okay. but I will not put my answer on that. I am going to go with Augie Kelly alone because of his deranged sense of friendship. I will say, uh, before we get to next week and we find out who the killer truly is, I, I am much of the same mindset as you. I do not think that there is a killer outside of these these two characters, mm-hmm. right? At this point in the story, um, the police, it would be a strange and strange and unfair for the police to be the killers. The troop are all trusted characters, and most of the, the additional characters that the book lists are kind of just there for other dramatical reasons, like Charlotte and her husband. Like, these are not characters that I would ever suspect in this sort of story. Um, I think that at this point in the story, if you, you really should be trying to choose between those two. Yeah, I, I because completely Because they agree. are the ones who have the, cle- the clearest motives and uh, means of which to, to be the killer. But I guess we'll have to see for next week. We'll have to see if you can earn your point. I'm scared. And whether or not you can defeat Good Murder by Robert Gott. Well, Herds, I'm definitely terrified for next week, but it has been a pleasure joining you this week on Death of the Reader. Absolutely. You are listening to Death of the Reader, your murder mystery world tour here on 2SER. We will be back with chapters 10 to the end of Good Murder by Robert Gott. I'm looking forward to hopefully being proven right. Yes, we'll find out. Hopefully. We'll find out, dude. That's what we're here for. You're listening to 2SER.